you're here today and you say, boy, I, I hope I make it to heaven. I, I, I don't know how many times I ask people that question. Uh, you going to heaven? They'll, oh, I hope so. I often ask them, I'll say, well, what do you think will get you there? Sometimes if it's a parent and they have children, I'll ask the question this way. I'll say, if your child asks you how to go to heaven, what would you tell them? The truth is, I don't know how many times I've heard the idea that, well, I try to live a good life. I try to live a good life. I try to do what's right and do the things that I should. And I think, I think if I do good enough, I'll make it there. And the truth is, the Bible teaches us that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to His mercy, He saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Truth of the matter is, if you're here today and you're trusting, trying to live a good life, maybe you're trying to get your life turned around and and get back in church, that's not going to get you there. You say, well, maybe I'll get baptized. If I get baptized, that'll get me more saved. That That may be a better chance of making it to heaven. I'm thankful that the Bible tells me, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to think so. You don't have to hope so. We can know that we have eternal life by putting our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved, the Bible says, through faith. In fact, Martin Luther was reading years ago in Romans chapter number 8, and the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. Those that are justified from their sins, those that uh, have gotten forgiveness of their sins, that are going to be in heaven for all of eternity, it says they'll live by faith. It's by faith that we're saved. And I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and I'll say this, I don't want you to get this idea, because a lot of people say, well, I believe, I believe that Jesus Christ is real. I, I believe in Jesus Christ. We've got to be trusting Him for our salvation. Our dependence of heaven or hell is based in Him and Him alone. Just like when you came in here a little bit ago, you spent some time maybe walking around fellowshipping, but you went to go sit down, and at a certain point, as you went down, you lost the balance. And at that moment, you were depending on that chair to hold you. I can believe in that chair all day long, but until I rest in it, until I put my faith in it, until I trust it, until I actually put myself in its place, and I expect it to hold me and to keep me, I've not trusted it yet. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people who believe in Jesus Christ, but not very many have trusted Him for their salvation. We need to get to a place where we say, Lord, if I'm going to get saved, if I'm going to make it to heaven, if I'm going to have my sins forgiven, it's not going to be by anything I have done. It's going to have to be by only what you have done, and that's all that I'm trusting. That's all that I'm putting my faith in. And that and that alone will get us to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You say, Pastor, that's a pretty narrow way. That's what the Bible says. It is a narrow way. It leadeth unto life, and few, the Bible says, there be that find it. And that's the sorrow, sorrowful part of it. It's amazing how many religious leaders, so-called, in our world today, will go on national television and be interviewed. And they'll be asked the question, is Jesus the only way? And they'll beat around the bush, and they'll hem and haul, and then at some point they'll give a little watered-down excuse. Well, I believe that there are other ways, too, and other religions 
they have the answer to. Can I tell you this? If they're not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible, then their way is not going to work. If their gospel is different than what this book teaches, it's not going to work. If their Jesus is a different person than the one that is explained in the pages of this book, then it's not going to work. There's only one way. And I hope and I pray that every single person here today has trusted Christ as their Savior. And if not, I urge you, I urge you to do that today. Get that matter settled. And don't go another day. I uh, pastored for a number of years down in Florida and uh, was a youth pastor for many years under my dad's ministry in the same church. And uh, we had... um, we had a couple of ministries there. We had a Spanish, Hispanic ministry there for uh, people that spoke Hispa- uh, Spanish. And uh, we had a, a Spanish pastor in our church. And then we had a, a Haitian pastor and a Haitian ministry as well in our church. And uh, precious folks, all of them were. And uh, there was a man in the Haitian ministry that loved the Lord. He was saved, trusted Christ as his Savior through our ministry uh, several years earlier and was baptized, was growing uh, in the church under the leadership of our Haitian pastor. And uh, he went home from church one day. He didn't have his car wouldn't start that morning, or he didn't have a car. I don't remember which at this point, but he was walking home from church. And he lived about seven or eight blocks down from where the church was, so it wasn't a far walk. But he left church that day, and he went out the driveway and turned left. In fact, we passed him on the way uh, to, to lunch that day, and he was walking and uh, just shortly after uh, we had passed him a card, come along and hit him and killed him, and went off into eternity. And I, I say all that to say this: we're not guaranteed another day. When that man woke up that morning, he got up like all of us did, and he got ready the way all of us did. He came to church and he sat through the preaching services like all of us did, never expecting that before the sun set that day he would be in the arms of his Savior. I say that to say this. I'm not trying to scare you into salvation, although if I could, I would. You say, Pastor, that's not right to scare them. Uh, Jude tells us that some save, uh, some having compassion, uh, and then he says some save with fear. I believe that if there ought to be, if, if we're not if in our lost condition, when we realize how lost we are, how hopeless we are, the fact that we can't save ourselves, it ought to put some fear in our hearts. I'll be real frank with you. Yes, I I wanted to trust Christ as my Savior, but most of that was because I didn't want to go to hell. I would urge you, you don't have the hope of another day. I hope and pray it doesn't happen. But it could very well be that before this sun sets today, that one or more of us could be in heaven. Are you ready? Have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I know this is a Sunday morning crowd, but folks, I sat in a pastor's home for 13 years. Lost. Are you ready? Have you trusted Him as your Savior? I'm not asking if you've lived a good life. I'm not asking if you've been a good church member or good church attendance. Have you put your faith in Him and Him alone? And if not, you need to do it today. That's not the message. All right? That was for free. If you didn't like that one, we'll give you your money back. All right? Luke chapter number 9, if you will. Luke chapter 9. It'd be a travesty to preach on every other issue in Scripture except salvation and to see people die and go to hell, knowing a lot about the Bible but not being saved. And that's why so often we try to hit this issue and deal with this issue. Uh, 
because I would not want anyone to sit in the pews of this church for any length of time at all and not know how to go to heaven. Luke chapter 9, let's look at verse number 51. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be... Re- I'm sorry, verse, uh, I said 51, 57, excuse me. And it came to pass. Aren't we glad of that? <laughs> and it came to pass. It didn't come to stay. All right, verse number 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Father, once again, we come to you. We ask that you'll bless for the next few moments. May you quiet our hearts. May you help us to focus our attention and our our affection wholly upon your word. May we hunger and thirst for the truth of it. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit have free reign to do as he would see fit in our hearts. May we not quench or grieve him in any way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to preach a message. I don't do this very often, but there are a handful of messages that every two or three years... I, I re-preach them, and the reason for that is there are some things we need to be reminded of. And uh, this is one of those that every two or three years I'll preach on. And uh, maybe a little different than the last time I preached it, because I don't remember all my notes from the last time I preached it. But it is a good uh, truth that we need to be aware of today. I want us to look at this passage very quickly. We find there there are three men that uh, are... Uh, wanting to be uh, followers, I'm going to use that word because that's what the Bible uses here, that they wanted to follow Him. So we're going to say they wanted to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, there are three of them that are specified here. Each of them has a, a particular excuse. Only one of them out of the three, and this is an interesting thing. In fact, I had read this passage many times in my lifetime before I realized this. It just dawned on me one day that really only one of the three was called by the Lord Jesus Christ. The other two volunteered. They said, Lord, we will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And I thought, boy, there's, there's probably a truth in there somewhere. Uh, I don't know that we ought to have to wait for God to put a calling on our life. We ought to just say, Lord, here I am. I like what Isaiah said when, uh, when uh, God was speaking. He said, whom shall we send and who will go for us? And he said, here am I, send me. When oftentimes, whenever God would audibly speak in the Old Testament and call out to someone, He oftentimes would call their name, and the Bible records that most often they would say, Here am I. Here am I. And I like that, don't you? Doesn't matter what the, what the question is, Lord, I, I'm here, I'm, I'm ready. You just tell me what it is. And I think our hearts ought to be that way. Two of these men had a desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, as we get here and look in verse 58, the Bible says, Jesus said unto him, uh, or, I'm sorry, verse 57, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee. And boy, this sounds really good, doesn't it? Not only is he going to follow him, follow him he's going to follow him whithersoever thou goest. doesn't matter where you go. I'm going to go with you. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And we never hear of this man again. 
It's the last time we hear of him. The disciples we hear of, some other followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and those that were true disciples of him we've heard of. We've heard them named. We've heard of them spoken about if their name wasn't given. But we never hear from this fellow again. This is a guy who was willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but for some reason we never hear from him again. Notice in verse number 59, the Bible says, And he said unto another, and this is the one he calls, He said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And we never hear of this guy again. Not found in Scripture anywhere else. Then we find the third guy. Verse 61, And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And once again, we never hear of him again. Three men. Three men saying, Lord, we will follow you whithersoever thou goest. And then we never hear of him again. Let me ask you a question. Were these men willing to follow the Lord? Sure they were. All of them agreed to. I mean, two of them said, Lord, I will follow thee. In fact, one of them said, whithersoever thou goest, I'll go wherever you go. The other one that he called, he said, he said, yeah, suffer me first to go and bury my father. In other words, I'll go with you, but I've got some other things to do first. And so I used to, as a youth pastor, preach to our young people, and I, I would try to get them to surrender to the Lord's will in their life. I would, I would preach verses of Scripture. I would preach passages that spoke of the fact that we ought to be submitting ourselves to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, Jesus Himself being a wonderful example of this in the Garden of Gethsemane, as He's praying the night before His crucifixion, says, Lord, if there, or Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as, thou, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. And I would use passages like that. And I would use passages of men that, like Ornan at the threshing floor saying, I give it all. And the idea that we needed to be willing to give God all of our life. But I was wrong. That is not what we should be doing. We should be willing, rather, to give God all of our life first. And that word first is where I was wrong. Because these three men that we see in Scripture were not guilty of not being willing to follow the Lord Jesus. They all were willing. Their problem was they weren't willing to follow Him first. I want to share with you five areas of our life that we need to make sure that when it comes to following the Lord Jesus in these areas, that we don't just say, Lord, I'm willing to follow you in this area, but we say, Lord, I'm willing to follow you in this area First, you have the priority. All of us have them, don't we? Those priority lists. Some of them may be handwritten and put on the refrigerator. A lot of people do that at the beginning of the new year. They put a New Year's resolution. They put the important ones on top and slowly go down the list. But all of us have them, whether they're written or not. We all have priorities, don't we? And by the way, those will change throughout your lifetime. Do you know that? Sometimes our priorities will change. When we're single, our priority is to find a husband or a wife. After we find one, then our priorities change. Now we want to try to figure out how to live with that husband or wife <laughs> peacefully. And uh, then we have children come along. That changes our priorities. Work, uh, our, our, uh, our career choice, our path, our education at certain times in our life are priority. I found this to be true. 
that whatever we're interested in is what will make the priority. Back in the war for independence of our country, 1776 and following that war, a man by the name of Francis Marion, some of you may have read him in history or know of him. He's known as the Swamp Fox. A uh, very cunning fellow. He used to fight uh, in the swamplands in the North and South Carolina area and uh, would, uh, would retreat back into the trees and swamps, and he would ambush the, the British. And after a while, they uh, had had some of their men captured by some of the British folks, and their, their men that were captured were being held on a British man of war out in the harbor. They uh, came to discuss uh, exchange of prisoners, because Francis Marion had captured some of their men, and they had captured some of his men. And so they invited the captain of the ship to come into their camp, and they blindfolded him because they didn't want him to see where their camp was. And they took him into the midst of the swamps, and they uh, allowed him to have supper with them. After they did dinner, uh, the, the exchange of prisoners was agreed upon. He asked the commander if he would like to stay and have dinner with him. And being an English gentleman, he accepted that uh, hospitality. And Francis Marion gave this man the best they had in the camp. The best they had were two wild potatoes that they had roasted in the embers of the fire. There was no butter, there was no herbs, and those of you that have eaten a roasted potato know how dry and starchy it is and hard to swallow. The commander of the ship, of the British ship, after choking down a few bites, finally laid it down and apologized and said, I, I can't eat the rest of this. And he looked at Francis Marion and he said, You must pay your men well. He said, as I look around here, your men have no shoes. Many of them are in rags. They're fighting the brutal winters. And they're eating things that are worse than what you've just given to me. And he said, you must pay them very well to get them to fight the way that they do. Francis Marion said, sir, we don't pay them at all. The commander was amazed by that. He said, I don't understand. He said, our men live far better than this aboard ship. And when we put them on half rations, they're still living better than this. And we have deserters every day. He said, how do you get your men to fight on such meager means? And Francis Marion made this statement. I'll never forget him. He said, it is the heart that is all. If a man is interested, he will do or suffer anything. It is the heart that is all. If a man is interested, he will do or suffer anything. I think of that often as I read these passages in Scripture. That one of the reasons these men failed in Scripture was not because they weren't willing to follow the Lord. It's because they weren't willing to follow Him first. They just weren't that interested. How can we get to the place where we're just not that interested? I mean, didn't Christ save us? Aren't we going to heaven and, and haven't we escaped the fires of hell because of what He did for us? Shouldn't there be a zeal and an excitement and a joy in serving the Lord with our hearts? Absolutely. But the problem is we live in this world. Paul told Timothy, he said, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who have chosen him to be a good soldier. In other words, he was saying, Timothy, don't get, don't get entangled with the things of life. Work on focusing on surrendering to the Lord, doing the Lord's work. 
Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus was teaching them about uh, their, their food and their raiment, the places that they were going to sleep. And He says, don't worry about those things. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I submit unto you today that you and I as Christians really are, are, are neglecting this truth. To be willing to serve God in our lives first. Let me give you five things very quickly. We'll be done. We have about 14 minutes. If you believe in miracles, we're going to try to get five points in 14 minutes. All right, so hang on to your seats. Look with me first of all in Colossians chapter number 4. Colossians chapter number 4. <clears throat> Colossians chapter number 4, verse number 5. Paul is speaking here to the church at Colossae, and he makes this statement. He says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. So he's speaking here of the work of those that were members of that church, their service for the Lord, in bringing the gospel and being a testimony to and ministering to those that were without, those that were not part of the church, those that were lost. And he was saying this, he says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Notice this, redeeming the what? Redeeming the time. In other words, we're supposed to be busy reaching a world with the gospel message, and we're not to waste our time in doing it. We're to be redeeming the time. And the word redeeming here means literally to buy it back, to, to, to make sure we make best usage of it. Look with me in Ephesians chapter number 5, and, and there's so many things in Ephesians and Colossians. If you've never noticed this, uh, Ephesians and Colossians have so many similarities, so many parallels in them. And I would urge you, if you ever read one book, don't read one without reading the other. Read them together. But Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 16. Uh, let's well, go verse number 15. Let's go verse 14. Let's just go to Genesis 1. It's all good. <laughs> Let's go to verse 14. In all seriousness, let's go to verse 14. So Ephesians 5 and verse 14. Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that what? Sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And here we go again. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. In other words, he was telling the church in Ephesus, Wake up. Wake up. You're sleeping. And the world is dying around you. They're going to a devil's hell. They need to be reached with the gospel. Wake up. We need to redeem the time. And when it comes to the usage of our time, the Lord should have first claim on it. He should have first rights to it. We should not, and here's what we normally do, we should not give Him the leftovers. I was a youth pastor for a number of years, and it was amazing to me how many times when we would have a youth rally or a youth revival or maybe a, a, a youth conference, and I would go around, I would begin to ask some of the young people, hey, are you coming uh, Friday night for the youth rally? Are you coming for the preaching time? And, and it's amazing to me how many times not only the children, uh, the, the, the teenagers, but also the parents would say, well, if we don't have something else going on. Can I tell you, that should never be the mindset of a Christian. Christ should have first claim. He should have the first priority of our time. We give God the first priority of our time, and then we fit the rest of our life into what's left over. It's amazing to me how often we as God's people say, Lord, I want to do what I want to do, and then whatever I have left, I'll give it to you. God doesn't want the leftovers. He wants the firstlings of the flock. In fact, it's amazing to me 
If you take time to read the story of Cain and Abel, we all remember that story in Genesis, don't we? It's interesting to me that the Bible says that when Cain brought a, a, a sacrifice of the lamb, it was the, the firstlings of his flock. When are the firstlings of the flock born? They're born in the spring, aren't they? Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. When do we harvest? In the fall. Cain brings the leftovers. Abel brings the firstling. And you say, well, pastor, did that make a difference? Apparently to God it did. Because God said this, unto Abel and his offering, he had, he had respect. But unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. Notice the way that was worded. It was the person that he had respect or not respect for first. The offering was just a reflection of the heart. One was saying, Lord, I want to give you the first, the best that I have. The other was saying, Lord, I'll give you the leftovers. I'll give you what I don't use after I've used all that I need. And it's amazing to me how often in the Christian life I catch myself giving God the leftovers. And if you take time to look in your life, it'll be amazing how many times you'll find that you too give God the leftovers. Jesus, speaking to these men, does not condemn them for not being willing to serve Him. Their fault was that they were not willing to serve Him first. They were not willing to give Him the priority. By the way, does God have a right to demand first place? Is He just to say, I, I want top of the list? I, I used to tell young people, I used to say, you know, you don't, you don't put... Christ somewhere on the list, you make him the top of the list. And I used to teach that. And then you can put everything else under it. And you know, one day I got to thinking about that and I thought, no, that's not right either. What you need to do is come and say, God, here's my blank sheet of paper. You fill out my list. Because not only do I want him to be first, I want him to have rule over the things that I prioritize in my life. We need to make sure that we are redeeming the time. When it comes to our time, how much of it do we waste? How much of it do we just fritter away? How much of it could we be used serving God, but we don't? I'm not saying that there's never a time for rest, for some relaxation. Even the Lord Himself went apart for a season. I believe that there is some benefit to having some time to rest and recuperate. But there is so much time that we waste. So much time. Jesus said when it comes to these things through the Apostle Paul, He said, redeem the time. You need to be in the practice of redeeming it everywhere you go. Why? Because there's a lost world in Colossians that need to hear it. And because the days are evil. In Ephesians. We need to be redeeming the time. Secondly, look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Yeah, we just got to our second point. We're not, going to, we're not going to be done by that time, but that's okay. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Once again, Paul writing here, verse number 19. Oh, I got the wrong thing here. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 16. I was looking at the wrong passage. Acts chapter 16, verse number 5. Sorry about that. That was my fault. 
Acts chapter 16, verse number 5. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone throughout uh, Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to the Mysaeus, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysaeus, came down to Troas. Now, I say this, that the second place we need to make sure that we give God first place in is in our life's work. Our life's work. Here Paul is trying to serve the Lord. He's preaching in as many places as he can. When he got done preaching in the churches there in Phrygia and the regions of Galatia, notice that when it came time for him to know what he was supposed to do next, the Bible says this in verse number 6, "...and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia." After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not." Can I tell you this? We need to make sure that when it comes to our life's work, that which we do, what we believe the Lord has for us to do, we follow after His will first, that we're yielded to what He has for us. I don't believe that it is God's will for every person to go into what we call full-time Christian service. I don't believe every man is supposed to be a pastor behind a pulpit. I don't believe every husband and wife team are supposed to be a missionary on the foreign mission field. But we are all to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. To go to this world and share the gospel with Him. And whether that be in a field of business, whether that be in a field of a blue-collar job, everywhere we go, in whatever work we do, we are to put God first in it. One of the greatest soul winners I know is a man by the name of Clint Andrews. Clint Andrews came out of World War II, was in the military, didn't have hardly anything. He had gotten married and they were living in a poor house and he had an old broken down vehicle. He went to uh, the store and he bought a mop and a mop bucket and some cleaning solvents. And he went knocking on the business doors in town and offered janitorial services just out of the back of his car. Over the period of years, God blessed him and uh, allowed him to become a multimillionaire in the area of janitorial business, janitorial services, and has uh, places all over the country and uh, was a friend of mine when I was in college, and he invited me to dinner one time, and he said, I want you to meet me at the top of the Gulf Life Tower in Jacksonville, uh, Florida. I was a poor college student, and they, he said, now you need to wear a, a shirt and tie and a jacket. They won't let you in without one. And so I get to the bottom of the Gulf Life Tower, and I went into the elevator, and I said, I'm supposed to go meet uh, fellow Clint Andrews. And the guy in the elevator knew him, knew him well. He said, we're expecting you. And uh, he reached in his vest pocket, and he pulled out a key. Yeah. One of those things, you had to put the key in to get to the floor. I'd never been to a fancy place like that, you know. Went up to the top floor of the Gulf Life Tower, and there's this wonderful restaurant, beautiful, probably five-star restaurant or so. And as I walked off the elevator, people were waiting on me. Mr. Boer, glad to have you here. Mr. Andrews is already here waiting on you. Escorted me to the table. Went and sat down at the table and uh, began to, to, to be waited on. And, I mean, we had, we had four or five people waiting on our table taking care of us. It's an amazing thing for a college student to go through something like that. There was not one person that came to our table that Brother Andrews didn't say, Hey, George, do you know you're going to heaven when you die? Not one. 
or whatever their name was. Hey, Susie, do you know you're going to heaven? And almost every one of them that I heard that day said, yes, sir, Mr. Andrews. He'd say, how do you know? They'd say, because you told me how to be saved and I trusted Christ as my Savior. You go to a place like that, you don't expect that to be the prime, primary place for somebody to tell somebody about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You think just going there to enjoy the dinner. Brother Andrews told me, he said that it's cost a lot of money, and he told me how much it was. It was a large several thousands of dollars to even have the privilege to go to this restaurant every year. It was a club membership. He said, Brother Greg, you know why I pay the money that I do to belong to these places like this? He said, because nobody will come into this place having this kind of money and share the gospel with these people if I don't. He took advantage of redeeming the time everywhere he went. I'll never forget when I graduated from college, Brother Andrews came to my graduation. My dad and mom were there, and I had shared so many times with Brother Andrews as we developed a friendship about my dad being my pastor and growing up in a pastor's home and how my dad was such an influence on my life. And he had heard all about my dad. He knew my dad probably better than, than if he had met him already, and he had never met my dad before. And I was so excited because my dad was there, Brother Andrews was there. I wanted him to meet. And uh, we were there, and I was in my, my cap and gown getting ready, and I brought my dad up, and I introduced him to Brother Andrews. Brother Andrews shook my dad's hand, knowing he's a pastor. You know what the first thing my, Brother Andrews asked my dad? He said, Terry, do you know you're going to heaven when you die? Asked a preacher that. You know why? Because Brother Andrews didn't want one opportunity to pass him by. He used the work that God gave him to do as a Christian businessman as a tool to reach people with the gospel. I don't care if you drive a garbage truck. I don't care if you stand in the pulpit of a church. I don't care if you're Bill Gates and own Microsoft. If you're a Christian, you need to be busy doing what God intends for you to do in the work that He's given you to do. You need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in these areas. Number three. Look with me in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter number 3. The Bible says in Colossians chapter number 3, verse number 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall he also, we also appear with Him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye, are, ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, which also ye are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of, God, the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Can I tell you this? 
We need to make God first in the area of our affection. The things that we love the most. Paul gives a list here. The things we used to love. The things that when we were unsaved, before we got saved. He said, don't long for those things. Set your affection on things that are going to be right and holy. He gives us a list of those as we get down to verse number, uh, verse number 14. Above all these, put on charity, which is the bond of peace. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, which, uh, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly with all wisdom, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Our, our testimony, our life, ought to reflect the things that we long for, the things that we have appetites for. Isaiah spoke of this. He said, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the what? Anybody remember that passage? Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thy heart. He's not saying that He's going to give you all the things you wish for. He's saying, I'll give you the wishes. I'll give you the, I'll give you the desires. And they'll be right desires. And when it comes to our affection... Let's not give in to the affection in our world that our flesh craves for us. Let's give our affection to the things that are set above, not on things on the earth. Let's, let's give our affection first and foremost to the things of the Lord. To living in a way that pleases Him. To letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom. It's amazing to me that we need to be singing hymns, the Bible says, and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Why? Because that's where our affection is. The Bible talks about us laying up our treasures in heaven. Where our treasure is, the Bible says, there will your heart be also. We need to make sure that when it comes to our affections, the things that we long for, the things that we love, the things that we find fascinating in our life, that we pursue after, that we hunger and thirst after, are the things of the Lord first. Does that mean we can't have a hobby? No, it just means put Him first in that area. Does that mean that we can't have some kind of amusement in our life? No, but we need to put Him first in that area. The things that we love most in this world ought to be the things of the Lord. Our affection ought to be set on Him first. I'm not going to take time to read all of them. Uh, all the passages for this, but I'll give you some more, uh, the other last two, and I'll give you just one, one passage from each. Let's turn to Psalm 89.11. Psalm 89.11. We should be giving God first claim, first priority in our life. In the area of our time, in the area of our life's work, we need to be sensitive and yielded to how He wants us to live in our affections. Number three, in our material possessions. Let me ask you a question. How much of our income belongs to the Lord? All of it. How much of our mere material possessions belong to the Lord? My clothes belong to Him. My car belongs to Him. You say, no, no, I work for those things. Who gave you the health? Who gave you the job? Who gave you the opportunity? It all belongs to Him. And He has entrusted it to us. And the Bible talks about that fact that we are stewards of what He has entrusted to us. We're to be good stewards and we're to use it well. Look with me, if you will, in Psalm 89 and verse number 11. The Bible says, The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. Everything belongs to the Lord. So when it comes to our material possessions, we need to give God first claim on them. We need to give God first claim on them. The Bible says, What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
Are we willing to give God first place? That means sometimes somebody may need something that we have. Are we willing to say, Lord, here am I, send me. I'll meet that need. We oftentimes are are too quick to hold on to the things of this life. There was a fellow years ago that went down with four other missionaries. His name was Nate Saint. They went down to reach a tribe of cannibals called the Aka Indians in South America. And while they were down there, uh, they were killed by the tribe that they were trying to reach. In his journal, uh, years later, his uh, wife had gotten his journal. He had written something, and I, I believe it was Nate Saint that did it. Uh, if not, it was Jim Elliott, one of the two. I can't remember which one of the two wrote this in their journal, but one of them wrote this in their journal. They said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Why is it that we become so attached to the things of this world? Jesus gave an illustration of a man whose harvest was great and his barns were filled and overflowing. And he was excited about it and he said, I'm going to tear down these barns and build new barns and I'm going to eat and drink and be merry. And Jesus said, Thou fool, knowest not that thy soul shall be required of thee this night. We get so wrapped up and enamored with the things of this world, we become so attached to them. I uh, <clears throat> I think it's good to be wise financially. I don't think God wants you to be frivolous. We're to be good stewards of what He's entrusted to us. But sometimes we need to be generous. Sometimes we need to give God first place. In fact, let me say it this way. All the time, He needs to have first claim on our material possessions. What is it that God needs? You say, well, Pastor, God doesn't need me. And He doesn't. He really doesn't. You know, I, I said this one time a while. It's been several years ago since I preached on the subject. But I made this comment in preaching one time. God doesn't need our money. <laughs> he owns the cattle on a thousand hill. In fact, we just read in Psalm 89, He owns the earth and the fullness thereof. It's all His. He doesn't need our money. You know what He's after when we give Him our material possessions? He's after our heart. I remember the story of Abraham when he, God told him to sacrifice Isaac, his only son Isaac. You remember that? God never wanted Isaac. That wasn't the issue. Oh, I'm sure he wanted him, but that wasn't, that wasn't what he was trying to prove by this point. He wanted Abraham. He wanted Abraham's heart. There are times God asks us to give of things that we possess, not because He needs them. He could find some other way to meet that need. But He wants our heart. He wants our heart. And then lastly, Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. And let's look in verse number 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. In Philippians chapter number 2, he's dealing specifically with the issue of humility. 
But he's telling us as Christians to let this mind be in, him, in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we find this is a, is a truth that is taught throughout Scripture, that we should let this mind be in us that is also in Christ Jesus. We should be trying to become more and more like Christ. How do we know the mind of Christ? Through His Word. We read it in His Word. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. Paul makes this statement. He says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, every thought to the obedience of Christ. There are five areas that we need to give God first place in. Number one, our time. Secondly, our life's work. Thirdly, our affections. Fourthly, our material possessions. And lastly, we need to give Him our mind. We need to give Him our mind. There are times, and depending on what kind of work you do, occasionally I help uh, a business out here in town with some issues and it's some computer work. And I'll be frank with you, after two or three hours of looking at code and numbers and, and doing different things on there, there's a fatigue that sets in up here in your brain. <laughs> your brain gets tired, gets mushy. And there are times you get home and you just don't feel like studying Scripture. You don't feel like thinking on the things of the Lord. You don't feel like doing your time with the Lord. And sometimes you work physical work and your body's tired and you're aching and your mind is screaming at you, I just need to get some rest and I just don't want to have to deal with anything. Men are really bad about this. We come home, we don't want our wife to talk to us or anything for about a half an hour just so we can unwind. Why? Because we're tired, we're fatigued. It's amazing how often we'll do that and then we'll never get our mind back on the things of the Lord. In fact, sometimes we don't give our thoughts to the Lord until Sunday rolls around or Wednesday night rolls around. But every day, every time we have opportunity, we need to put our thoughts on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to, we need to saturate our minds. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 1, it says, His delight, talking about the blessed man, it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law doth he meditate, what? Day and night. Joshua chapter, eight, I think it's chapter 8, verse number 9, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Can I tell you this, that it needs to be the thing that we saturate our hearts and our minds with. You know, probably one of the most susceptible areas of our life that Satan attacks more than anything that we often give in to are sins of the mind. Because we don't think anybody sees them, for one. Because we really don't protect our mind and our thoughts the way that we should. We don't bring them into captivity. You say, well, I have a hard time having the right thoughts, Pastor. Then saturate your mind with Scripture. Think on those things that are lovely and true and just and right. Think on those things that are pure. Think of those things that are of a good report. Think of those things that are virtuous. Put your mind on those things. you ever notice how hard it is to sin when you're reading Scripture? Or when you're singing a song of the hymn book? Or when you're listening to some preaching on the radio? It's difficult to sin during those times. Why? Because our minds are engaged. God is having first place. I would encourage us not to just be willing to serve the Lord, 
But let's be willing to give Him first place in every aspect of our life. Every aspect. Say, Lord, I want You to be first. Not just top of the list. I want You to be the list. I want You to write down everything You want on that list for me. Because I want to give You the priority in every aspect of my life. Let's stand together, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed, my hope and my prayer is that every person here has trusted Christ as their Savior. I would encourage you, if you've not, to get that matter settled today. For Christians that are here that say, yes, Pastor, I know that I'm saved and I know I'm on my way to heaven, are we just willing to follow Him or are we willing to follow Him first? Are we giving Him